Welcome to the Leader Think Podcast, where we discuss personal growth and concepts for improving organizational culture. This is your host, Philip Grison. As you increase your wisdom, I hope you enlighten others on your path towards greatness. If you want to go further, head over to leaderthink.com. Hey, everybody. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Jeff Harry, and he's going to talk about the concept of play, which might be a little bit different than the concept of hard work and leadership. Um, So I'm really excited to hear what he's got to say about it. And uh, he told me I could freely call him out on his BS. Yeah. And so uh, we'll see how that works. Maybe he'll call me out on my BS, but uh, uh, hope hope to uh, become enlightened uh, through this conversation. So Jeff, tell me about yourself. Tell me about this concept of play and what you do and what you offer to people to help them. Sure. So I'll give the Batman origin story as that usually helps uh, provide clarity. So do you remember the movie Big with Tom Hanks from way back when? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, so it. he he went and danced on that piano and then they offered him a job in the toy industry. And I was in third grade when I saw that and I was like, you can get a job doing that. So I started writing toy companies in third grade and I just did not stop, you know, all throughout high school, all the way into college. And then I eventually got into the toy industry. And I don't know if you've ever gotten exactly what you wanted, the dream industry, and then been so disappointed when you arrived. But like, that's what happened to me. I was in the toy, I was at a toy company and, you know, they had, I was in a cubicle, there were padded walls, there was no fun, no play, no happiness, no toys, no high fives, no kids. And I was like, man, this is just so disappointing. <laughs> and I felt like they were selling microwaves or socks, like it didn't really matter what they were selling. So I remember leaving New York, coming to the Bay Area, bumping into an organization that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. They were basically playing for a living. They were paying $150 a week. It was like a joke of a job. But they were playing, and that's and and they they paid for that. So I was like, oh, I'm going to make this a thing. So I committed to them. It was a Lego inspired STEM organization, and then over the next like 15 years, we grew it into the largest Lego inspired STEM organization like in the U.S. And we did this all by playing, like. You know, we had no business plan. We picked cities because we thought they were fun. We picked people because we thought they were fun. We experimented. We failed miserably all the time. We tried out all these different things, but we just kept playing around. And eventually we got so large that we were teaching 100,000 kids a year that Silicon Valley started to pay attention to us. Facebook, Google, Adobe, you know, uh, Netflix, PayPal. And they were like, hey, do you do team building events? And just like our play selves, we're like, of course we do, even though we didn't. We just said yes to everything, right? And then for the next eight to nine years, I was running team building events for the top tech companies like like in the world. Um, But what I found that a lot of companies did was at the same time that they would claim to be agile, innovative, disruptive, all these buzzwords, they had not created a safe, a psychologically safe environment for people to take risks and for them to play. So I created Rediscover Your Play, my organization now, that combines positive psychology and play to have people address hard, challenging issues in the workplace, like toxicity at work, like office politics, like having hard conversations, dealing with your inner critic, getting your staff into flow, because we need to address those hard issues in order to innovate and be a really great organization. 
Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I mean, I talk a lot about the the concept of failure being a, a blessing in disguise, and it, it mm -hmm. sounds like it was for you too. So that's that's great. Okay, so I got to ask a question. What's up with the bow tie? Ah, so the bow tie. Um, I first was challenged on a dare by my former colleague to wear the bow tie to a conference. She was just like, I dare you to wear that to a conference. And I was like, yeah, I guess I will. Why not? So I wore it to a conference because I felt like at conferences, we're all pretending to be professional, right? Like, you know, I'm sure you've all been there where you're at a conference and the first day, everyone's like, it's like the first day of school and everyone's trying to impress one another. So I'm wearing this bow tie, kind of like mocking the idea that we all are wearing costumes. And I realized like I had such a better day. And part of the reason was by wearing this ridiculous item, it was giving permission for people to play, to like act nerdy with me. So I had conversations about Game of Thrones and Star Wars and just the weirdest things, but people actually being real with me. And I was just like, oh man, this is so much fun. I'm just going to wear this all the time and wear it to the airport, you know, wear it at, at workshops and all the time. And whenever I wear it, not only does it remind me not to take myself too seriously, but it also helps because then other people are like, oh, I don't need to be somebody else. I can simply be me because this, this nerdy guy's being himself. Yeah. Okay. That's a great concept. You know, I've been studying this, this concept recently that people won't believe what you tell them to believe. They believe in you when they see that you believe it. Exactly. And a big portion of that is being authentic, right? That, yeah. that authenticity is here's all of me, whether you like it or not, and all the right. weirdness that comes with it. And and so are, are we just too darn serious these days? Yeah. Um, and and I mean, let, I mean, let's talk about authenticity, right? Because now that word is thrown around all the time. Like you got to be authentic. That's how you become a strong leader. That's how you get gain followers. And it's like, there's even a fake authenticity. You know, and what I challenge people to do, and I, I say this a lot, Viola Davis says this, with each decision that we make, we either claim who we are or we end up chasing our worth for the rest of our lives. And how many people do you right now know that are chasing their worth, that are constantly looking for external validation, that are constantly recreating high school all over again? And I always ask a lot of my clients, like, who are you trying to impress right now? Because if you're trying to impress someone you won't care about in five years, why are you doing this? You did this in high school. You don't think about those people in high school anymore. So what are you doing now from that standpoint? But then tying back into what you said about like, are we being too serious. Yeah. And the, and the main reason why us as adults don't play as much anymore is because of the 148,000 no's. By the time you reach the age of 18, studies show that you've heard the word no 148,000 times. And you've heard the word yes, maybe between eight to 10,000 times. So first take that level of trauma, right? Then you go to school where you're shit on by adults all the time, right? You're shit on by teachers, by your parents, by other people. And imagine even when you were six, like an adult would be like, you know what you should do when you grow up? And it's just like, I'm six. Like, why are you giving me advice right now? Like, this is ridiculous. So you're getting shit on all the time. Then you go to your teen years, which from all the people I've spoken to, none, no one had a really good teenager experience. And now imagine with social media, you're constantly being bombarded by all this social media. We get more information in a day than people in the 1950s got in a year. And all that information is telling you, you're not enough. 
You're not that great. Stop being mischievous. Stop being you. And by the way, if you buy this product, then you'll be liked, right? So, so all of this is happening. No wonder we don't play, right? No wonder we're in like, we don't want to take risks. So, you know, it's such a rebellious revolutionary act to play when everyone's telling you you're too mischievous, too much, too weird, you know? So when you do something like start a podcast or create a video or reach out to somebody that you've been wanting to reach out to, even though it sounds super weird or do some weird thing that you feel is you, it's such a powerful act of true authenticity that other people just gravitate towards it because they know that you are being yourself. And by simply being yourself, you're giving permission for them to do the same. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to circle back to something you said too, about all the no's you hear in your life. And, and I never really thought about how many we hear, but it, you know, the other thing with that is it, it trains us to not engage in our own thinking yes. when, when we're told what we can't do for so long, then something like what you've started with your business, you know, if people are told what you can't do all their life that, that you just automatically think I can't achieve that. Right. And, and we need to come to, to, to battle back against those voices. Absolutely. I think about when I was writing letters to those toy companies, most of them didn't write me back. And when they did write me back, they thought I was at a grown adult and they were like, yeah, we, we don't hire, you know, you. <laughs> right. But it didn't deter <laughs> me. Like it just didn't deter me. I was just like, and I still do that now when I reach out to people. Right. And I'm like, I just don't care. Like, I'm just going to reach out. And if you vibe with me, awesome. And if you don't, then, you know, it's your loss moving on, you know? Right. So I think we have to really rethink what failure actually means. You know, I've been saying this a lot. Um, uh, the people that were willing to fail the most in 2020 were the people that thrived the most. You know, and I think of a former uh, colleague of mine who was a NASA engineer, worked on one of the Mars rovers, and she goes, you know, we fail on purpose. Like, we are constantly trying to get this robot to fail in all these ways on the ground. And the reason why is we want to know all of the failures now, because once we send it off to Mars, we can't fix it. So we need to know, we need to actually explore that realm. So, you know, for businesses, for leaders, think about what are you doing to create a psychologically safe space for your staff to take risks, for your staff to be creative? Like actually ask them, do you really feel like you can take risks as this job? Do you really feel like you can try something out that's new? Have I given you the freedom to fail? When was the last time you failed at this job? Right. You know, and and right. and when was the last time you felt like you could experiment? You know, I tell this to leaders all the time. You know, the best thing you could do right now for your team is to go to each of one of your staff and ask them, what is the work you love to do most? Like, what's the work that you forget about time? The work where if I didn't pay you, you would still do this work. Right. That's your red thread work, as Marcus Buckingham refers to it, or or your zone of genius, as, as Gay Hendricks says. Ask your staff, okay, what do you, oh, okay, oh, is you, you connect with customer clients? You love to connect with the clients? What percentage of time do you do that right now? Oh, you're only doing that 10% of your time? 10%? Is there any way we can increase that to 15 or 20%? Because by allowing your staff to get into that flow work, to start their day with that flow work, it has a ripple effect on all of their other work. They're highly more productive, but also more importantly, they feel seen and heard because you're showing them that you actually care, 
that you're actually willing to ask them, I want to do help you do the work that you love to do most, right? And just tying this back to like the eight-hour workday, you know, studies have found, first of all, I don't know why we still have the eight-hour workday, you know, because it's something started in 1926. So it's 94 years. We haven't questioned the eight-hour workday. But, you know, in the eight-hour workday, Studies have found that your staff can only focus for two hours and 53 minutes of this eight-hour workday. Do you do their best work during three hours of that time? Maybe you have some more advanced you know, people, so maybe they can do three to four hours, but you're only going to get three to four good hours out of that eight-hour workday from your staff. Everything else is mediocre. So what work do you want them to do with those three to four hours? It should be the work that makes them come most alive, and that is how you're going to get them to to not only stay at your organization, but be more committed. You know, um, okay, so you had so many great points there. And and one, um, I think that our, our brain just naturally navigates to identifying weaknesses, yep. especially in an organizational culture. But it, it's, so, it's so strange how when you build people's strengths, it actually diminishes their weaknesses in yeah. the process. Yeah. And, and so, um, it, you know, I love the brain and talking about all that. And could you talk a little bit about this concept of play and, and what goes on inside your brain yeah, when, sure. when, you, when you're in that state of flow? So, so usually your brain is in a beta state. And when you're in a beta state, your prefrontal cortex, that's where your inner critic lies, right? That's why we have a negativity bias. So don't beat yourself up when you're being negative because your brain, your inner critic is actually looking for threats. This is the whole caveman tiger thing that you've heard so many times over, right? It's constantly looking for threats. That's their job to protect you, right? But it's run amok in this new society where we don't have to worry about animals attacking us, right? You know, so what happens when your brain goes from a beta state to a flow state is you go, your brain goes through something called hypnofrontinality. Um, and that is when your, your prefrontal cortex, a part of your prefrontal cortex actually shuts down and your inner critic starts to dissipate and your implicit mind shows up. That's where the creativity shows up. And then all of a sudden, instead of seeing being fixated on one result, you see all of these opportunities in front of you. You become highly curious. You get this shot of dopamine and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, what is possible? And you felt this way when you travel and you're in that yes and state where you're like, what am I going to do today? I don't know. There's just so many options. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. You're just yes anding all of these moments, right? And also what happens to your brain is, is it start you start to distort time. This is why you don't recognize when you're in a flow state because you're just in the zone. You're fully present. So all of this is happening, right? And what adults do that destroys this is we get so fixated on results, right? And expectations are the thief of joy. So think about 2020. So many people felt so much suffering, partly because they had visions of what 2020 was going to be. It didn't happen. And then they weren't able to let go. They just weren't able to, they were like, oh, maybe it's still going to happen. Maybe I'm still going to double my business. Maybe I'm still going to get married. Maybe I'm still going to travel the world. And, you know, what we even do in one of our workshops is we have people write down what they couldn't do in 2020 anymore, have them fold it up into a, a paper airplane and let that go. Because we were like, you're not going to be able to create anything amazing, even with these last 12 days in 2020, 
until you let go of that stuff. So, so when you're in that flow state, you're able to let go of that result. You're able to open your mind to all the opportunities in front of you. And that is when there's so much more potential for you to be able to solve the problems that you're struggling with the most. I, I love how you explain that. Um, uh, you know, totally get the the limbic brain, prefrontal cortex, and the differences uh, of those two sections of our brain. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Eckhart Tolle and, oh, and yeah. being present and what you can accomplish and, and how your greatest accomplishments can come in those moments where we're ignoring clock time. Yep. But, but at the same time, I love what you added too that, uh, you know, in, in a Buddhist Eckhart Tolle kind of way, all our suffering comes from. Uh, you know, the, the future and the past, right? Exactly. And not living here in the present moment. Exactly. But you said it in a great way, Jeff, because I think you said it, you know, sometimes when you try to share that concept with people, they envision that, okay, now we're sitting around meditating, not getting anything done. Right, right, right. But you seem to be communicating it in a way where we can be much more productive. And leaders do need to hear that. That's great stuff. Well, well if you think about it, your best moments in your life are play moments. So why wouldn't we be playing more, right? Your your best your best work comes from flow work when you're when you're fully present, right? If 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 we if you want to solve some of the biggest challenges at your organization right now, I say this a lot. You know, Stephen Johnson says the future is where people are having the most fun. Look at the companies that are having the most fun right now. You know, the TikToks, the Hulus, the Disney Pluses, the Netflix, they're thriving in this. They are experimenting constantly. They are they are failing from time to time, but they just keep trying stuff out. Even, even Amazon, you know, and I don't I don't like Jeff Bezos, but back in 1998, he was going after some of the most interesting tech issues like that were happening at the time. So all these tech heads were heading over to him even though he was paying nothing at the time because he was solving the most interesting issues. And that was where the most fun is being had. So you have to ask yourself as an organization, are we having fun? Are we, are we pursuing the work that is really engaging to us? Because if we're not, guess what we're going to become? We're going to be the next blockbuster. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, I love it. I, I, so I, I know he's can be polarizing sometimes, but a big Elon Musk fan and, and, uh, you know, don't know all the inner workings of his organization, but a lot of those SpaceX people look like they're having a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not afraid of failure. Like you've touched no, on, they, they plan to blow up several rockets. Right. And we're all going right. to die on the first trip to Mars. He's right. totally cool with that. Right. But, but that play has invented a rocket that can land itself. And exactly. we've never had that before. Exactly. So that's great. Okay. So, okay, Jeff, let's, let's go. Um, I, I'd like to, how could we get better at dispelling this myth that all great things come from hard work? Or, or is there a way we can finesse that statement? Because I know hard work is important, but we're here talking about playing. Right. What we're talking about. Well, think today. about so it. So can you touch on that? Yeah, think about when you're in flow, that doesn't mean you're not doing hard work, right? That doesn't mean that you're not investing in time. And instead, like if you think of a lot of startups when they first started, they were and they were having so much fun, they'd work 12 hours, right? It's it's not they're not mutually exclusive. I think a lot of times we we try to like separate play from work, but your best work is play. You know, kids 
their work is play. And, and my argument, you know, and why I created part of my organization is to be like, when you're not playing at work, you are actually forcing your, you know, sometimes grit is important and sometimes you need to force stuff, but other times you're forcing something that it's just not working. And you have to like take a step back and be like, is this, you know, should we like, let's, let's keep cold calling, like perfect example, let's keep cold calling people, you know, during COVID times. Well, do you think that's a good idea? You know, that kind of sounds like, you know, a little tone deaf. People are going through some tough times. No, we're just going to hard work. We're just going to keep doing the same thing. You know, you know, let's, let's keep sending those really bad emails via LinkedIn of like, hey, you know, we can triple your business if you can just blah, blah, blah. Because you know what? Right. We're going to do the same thing we did before now. And it's just like, come on, dude. Like, let's both work harder and smarter by really asking ourselves, what is a new creative way to solve this problem? You know, I think of, I think of creative brainstorming sessions pre-pandemic. Think about how ridiculous they were. All right, we're going to get into a box room. We're going to get around a box table and then we're going to get an hour and we're going to come up with the best ideas ever, the most creative ideas. Well, you've just already created the environment where it's there's no fun there. There's no creativity. Imagine if instead you did one of these different things to come up with ideas. You walked it, the person walks into the room and you go, listen, today we're not negating anything. We're yes-anding. We're taking a, a page out of the improv book. And we're just going to yes-and all of the ideas to solve this one problem, which means nobody gets to say negative things about anyone else's ideas. I don't care if you think it's the worst idea ever. We're going to let that on. We're going to put that on the board because, because um, creativity as studies have found, sometimes you have to go to the extreme and come up with some crazy idea in order to find the actual right magical solution. So we're going to yes and this entire meeting. We're going to put all of these ideas on the board. We're going to leave and then tomorrow we'll come back and then we're going to circle the ones that resonate most. That's what design thinking is. It's just like not negating everything, right? The other idea you could try with your team is, hey, we've been doing all these creative brainstorms. Doesn't seem to be working by us all sitting in a room together. I want you to go do the thing that, that gives you a flood of ideas. Is that you taking a shower? Is that you going for a walk? Is that you writing morning pages? Is that you playing some sport? Whatever it is, get a flood of ideas, go out, this is what your, your job is. Go out and do some fun things so you get those ideas flowing. Go to sleep because a lot of times our brains solve problems while we're sleeping. And then tomorrow we'll have our brainstorming meeting where you're going to share all these ideas. Imagine that. That's just such a different way. Still working hard. We're not like telling them to just go watch Netflix, but we're having we're empowering them to do work on their own terms, Right to do work in the way that they know how best to do their work. We give them the freedom to do that and they're going to create something magical. Definitely. I think that it's so important that, you know, reflection time is something we need. And now some people look at that as that's I'm paying somebody for that. 
but yes, it's necessary to get the better ideas. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing you said too, it's, you know, all the great ideas came from thinking outside the box and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, driving a boat across the ocean to get to North America, when everybody else says you're going to run off the cliff, that we have to do that or land a rocket, right? It's right. That we have to give people the room to do that. Okay. So, all right, Jeff, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, Google is a perfect example. They gave the 20% program to their staff where they have a fifth of their time where they can pursue anything that they want as long as it helps Google out. What has come from that program? Gmail, Google Meet, so many billion dollar ventures have come from providing their staff some ability to play at work. Now, your company obviously can't give a fifth of their time to staff, but you can give 5%. You can give them a couple hours a week to pursue something else and look at look at what they're going to be able to create during that time because that's probably going to be some of their best work. So um, I have most of my clients are from the construction industry. And, and when you think about this COVID pandemic we've had, you know, they've been essential from day one. So they never stopped working where a lot of people, you know, went home or shut down. And so I could, I can sense that there's no time for that. We're in survival mode right now. Um, We are essential. Do, Do you have any, any thoughts for those kind of industries? Well, I think from those sort of industries, there's still this idea of how are you going about your problem solving, right? Because post-pandemic, we're not going to be able to get back to normal. It's going to be a new normal, right? So so being that it's a new normal, I would challenge a lot of your leaders at a lot of these companies, like, how are we going about solving problems going forward? How are we utilizing our staff? If we're in the construction industry, like, are we utilizing each of our staff in the best way possible? Are we utilizing their best skill set right right now? Or are we just plugging people in? Because then you're missing out on all of this potential that this staff member might have, right? Whether that's their ideas or whether that's actually the type of work that they love to do. If they're build, if you're building these, you know, you know, monstrous, um, you know, buildings, and you have a bunch of like welders, but one of your welders is better you know, at another job that maybe he doesn't have as much skill or he doesn't have as much experience at, but he loves doing that. He might be able to do stuff at a faster rate, right? Like what are we, how are we putting our, our, first off, do we understand our staff? That's like the first thing, right? right? And then second, do we understand what I ask this uh, leaders all the time? Do you understand what your staff's language of appreciation is? And people are like, well, what's the language of appreciation? Well, it's, you know, gifts, acts of service, um, quality time, and um, words of affirmation. Well, what do you mean by that? Gifts is bonus. A lot of, some some right. staffers are really motivated by bonuses. Others are not, right? And, and studies have found if you give a bonus at the end of the year, not as motivating, but if you spread out that same bonus throughout the year, Really motivating. You can actually get more out of your staff by spreading out the same bonus or maybe giving them a bonus when they finish that contract, that construction job, right? You know, acts of service. Hey, you know, Daniel, I know, you know, your your wife is pregnant. Do you need to get back home early? Hey, take take the afternoon off. 
You do that one time, all of a sudden, Daniel's even more committed to your company, right? More like, That's because right. he's like, oh, they're looking out for me. He actually even knows that my wife is pregnant. That's amazing. I just freaking love that, right? You know, so that's like an act of service. Words of appreciation, simply at meetings being like, yo, Daniel is doing a kick-ass job. I love what you're doing. And not only then are you pointing out what he's doing well, but you're, you're communicating to everyone else that's in the field like, yo, I want to get praised like Daniel does. I'm going to start doing a bit more stuff like him, man, because I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get promoted like Daniel is. Or I'm trying to get that bonus like Daniel is. So we have to identify what is the way in which our staff is motivated and appreciated because simply um, studies have found like 64% of people say they would work harder if they felt more appreciated at work. And if your construction sure. leaders simply figured out ways to appreciate their staff more, they might finish their jobs even earlier, which means more profit to them. That's right. Yeah, the, no two brains work alike, do they? Some some care about the bonus, some care about the uh, the the time off, and, and and we do need to start by getting to know people. That's definitely for sure. I'm, you know, a lot of this, we're, we're tying back to workplace satisfaction. And I, I've heard you uh, mention that, how play can increase engagement and workplace satisfaction in, in some of your other talks. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would say we're at kind of an all-time low of, of engagement oh, yeah. at work. Yeah. And, and maybe this could help with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, this is pre-pandemic. Um, Gallup did a poll where they found out that 85% of people are disengaged at work. That doesn't mean they're like completely disengaged, but they're just like, huh, works work. And they're just, they're doing mediocre work, right? And then I even heard this, which was even a more disturbing uh, study. They found out that leaders like VPs, uh, it was uh, around 80% of them were not sharing their best ideas uh, with their CEOs or with their leaders. So right now, 80% of the products that we have at our, you know, like in our house or mediocre ideas. <laughs> we don't. We're not even getting <laughs> the best right. ideas. Like we were. Like, like so. So what are we doing, right? So we first have to recognize that and be like, okay. So the first tip, what I gave earlier, is identify the work that your staff loves to do most. But then another thing, and I I recently did this for a biomedical company. We actually tied what staff loved to do as a kid to what they do now. You know, um, we have a Your Future is Where the Fun Is workshop that I've run with my colleague, Lauren Yee, where we ask people, what did you love to do as a kid? Uh, and she loved to play sardines, which is a reverse hide and seek. It's amazing. Someone hides, then other people look for that person. That person is found uh, by another person. They hide and they pack in like sardines. So all of a sudden there's eight people hiding, being like, be quiet. And one person like looking for them. It's amazing. You should do it with adults. Great at construction sites. But be careful after 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 the pandemic, right? Um, but what I was like, well, what do you love doing about that? And she, uh, and she goes, you know what I love? I love the creativity aspect of it. I love the connection aspect. And I love that it's collaborative. And I was like, okay, well, based off of those play values, what do you love to do now? And she started to think about it. And she's like, oh, I love creating community. I love like, you know, creating like, like new businesses that are all about collaboration. I love running like these team building events. So we again have to look at what someone loved to do then and are they doing that work now? And you can ask yourself that. What did I love to do as a kid? What were my play values? And 
is there any of the work that I'm doing now that actually does that? And if not, let me look at my day and how can I incorporate more of that play work into my day? Because it will definitely allow me to be more engaged at work. So, um, you know, on the engagement, and, and there are multiple thoughts on that, that uh, yes, we have a lot of people that are not engaged. Um, sometimes Cy Wakeman is one that comes to mind that some of her studies show that oh, right. people, some people are not engaged because they just they gripe and complain and they look to everyone outside of them to solve their own problems right where other people are personally accountable and and there are valid reasons they're not engaged so there, there might be a little balance there that maybe the numbers don't tell the full story what do you think about yeah, that yeah i th i think that is true and i love cy wakeman's uh, stuff um i think though that we also a lot of times use someone is the scapegoat, right? Of being like, well, they okay. just don't like their job. So like, I don't have to do anything, right? <laughs> like, and that's kind of like that, you know, we're all the heroes of our own story, right? And that is a great, right. that's a great way in which a leader can get out of stuff. So I, you know, I love what Elizabeth Gilbert says where she goes, personal transformation doesn't happen until you get tired of your own BS, and I would challenge leaders, what is some of the BS that you're telling yourself right now to make yourself look like the hero? Like, I can't, I can't help Daniel. You know, Daniel just has a bad attitude. and Daniel's just going to always have a bad attitude. Maybe, maybe, but let's be curious for a moment and be like, why is this person having this experience? You know, there was this thing called the Oz principle way back when. I forgot who was the one that created it. Um... But of course, it was a pyramid because everything's a freaking pyramid, you know, where the, where right. the guy, where the, guy uh, the, the point was, you know, we expect people to, we tell them what to do and then the results change. We address their action. Hey, Daniel, you got to do it this way. And then the results change. But that's not how it plays out because what's under results than actions is beliefs and under beliefs are experiences. And this is part of the reason why, you know, you could have like conservatives and, you know, progressives not get along because they deny each other's experiences. They don't recognize, they argue each other's beliefs and be like, your belief's wrong. No, your belief's wrong. And you're ignoring their experience. So as a leader, what you have to do in order to change someone's actions to get the results you want, you have to change their experience. What if their last job was a horrible experience where everyone was mean and everything was toxic and you just did mediocre work and you just kept your head down? That's their experience. So now they're at your job. What are you going to do to change that experience? And if you're not willing to change their experience, then you can't complain. You can't complain that. And changing someone's experience is difficult. It takes sometimes years you know, I remember once helping someone that was just like, I'm not good at conferences. I'm not good at networking. I hate networking. It's the worst. Networking is the worst. And then I went with them to a conference and I was just like, I don't want us to network. I just want us to connect with people and have a good time. And just like, who cares? We're not even going to talk about work. I just want you to enjoy yourself while we're here. And then they did that. And they were like, man, look, look at all these business cards, you know? But I didn't network and was like, yeah, you did. That's exactly what we did. We just had a good time. We just <laughs> That's exactly connected with me. Like, like, this is what networking is, man. So I had to change their experience. I had to sit right next to them to help them change their experience in order to do that. So we have to ask ourselves as leaders, what are we doing to change our employees' experiences? 
Okay. So yeah, all great points. Um, uh, you know, I forget the name of the authors, but, uh, difficult conversations was the book where uh, oh, right, it, right. we touched yeah. on that, 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 that it's, it's our, our experiences. I think they use the term stories, right. But those stories that we have that we're unaware of yep. is why we're disagreeing with each other so much. And, and we need to learn those other stories, those experiences, like you said, that led to those, uh, belief systems. And, and, you know, another thing you said too, it made me think about why is it that we're always the one saying that, well, they're being disagreeable and, and maybe we should point that finger back to ourselves. You know, how often we say, well, I'm the one who's not, not being uh, open to new ideas. So yes, we definitely need to, to create, but yeah, like you said too, it, it, it's hard. It's hard, hard to create new experiences, especially when they're deeply ingrained belief systems, right? Exactly. I mean, all these things you're talking about are brand exactly. new concepts that, uh, you know, you're, you're combating some pretty deeply held beliefs in the process. But, I mean, but it's all I mean good there's, stuff. yeah, there's a lot of people that are still doing high school right? They're yeah. just reliving yeah. <laughs> high school now at work, right? You know, and they're, yeah. they're still yeah. being petty and just they're like, oh, you know, like, oh, I don't like Samantha or I like, oh, I don't like Tommy and he's this way. And it's just like, what, what are we? Right. So you have to address all of that. I mean, you don't have to be their therapist, but you have to like, you know, address like their concerns and their fears you know, and that's by getting to know them and really understanding their motivations. And then also really challenging yourself to not always be the hero in your own story. And also, if you are going to have a difficult conversation, that you are not attacking other people's character, but you're instead trying to address their behavior and the impact that it's having. Hey, Daniel, you know, a lot of people say you have a bad attitude, Daniel. You know, I don't know if you do or not. I don't know. I don't know you enough. Like we need to get to know each other. But by you acting the way you're acting, people don't want to work with you, man. And because people don't want to work with you, we're not able to get stuff done. And because we're not able to get stuff done, we're all getting paid less. None of us are going to hit our bonuses. Do you want to get paid more, Daniel? Oh, that's one of your you know uh, appreciation languages. You want you want a bonus. You want a better bonus. Then we have then we have to figure out how you gotta you gotta act differently, man. Like because we're we're in this together, and I'm trying to help you out. So you have to be able to have that and have it multiple times. Because I think I say this a lot is we don't get a lot of time to practice at work. It's crazy no. that in football you practice all week for three hours for a three hour game, but at work, <laughs> right. you know, at work. We never get to practice having a hard conversation. Like we are constantly being told that like, we have to make more money. We got to hit the numbers. And it's just like, we're one hard conversation away from doubling our, our profits. If we simply were able right. to have that hard conversation, but instead we're constantly staying busy and constantly being in a lot of meetings that are a waste of time. They don't need to be an hour. They could be 17 minutes or seven minutes, like just end the meeting when it's done. We're wasting a lot of time at these meetings and instead be like, let me just have this hard conversation with this person instead of bringing everyone in so they can have, so that we can have this awkward conversation when it really should just be these two people having a discussion. So that, that triggers another thought, Jeff, that you know, I'm curious in your work that 
I think they were really good at equipping people with sending them to seminars and letting them hear yeah. an inspirational speech. And then, yeah. then, you know, a week later, they're right back where they were before. Yeah. Do you do anything on the development side to help develop these things, coach them through it? Cause yeah. that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. When we, when we run our dealing with toxicity at work workshop, you know, we'll run the workshop, but then we come back and ask either individually or we run another workshop, but we connect with them to be like, what's the measure of success? How many people are now having harder conversations? How many of them are navigating that? Like it's a, it's a clear metric, right? You know, how many people feel comfortable enough to have those hard conversations? I think a lot of times, and this is part of the reason why I don't do team building anymore, but instead address hard, have these hard conversation uh, discussions is because team building is all about like, let's do one fun thing. Let's go bowling. Let's do right. this. We'll go rock climbing and then we'll have, then we'll all be trustworthy. And you do build a certain level of trust because you know, uh, it's the whole quote, it's not from Plato, but the quote of like, you learn more about a person in an hour of play than a year's worth of conversation. That actually is true. You know, you start to build some shared humanity, but you still have to have those hard conversations, right? So we it's try hard. to come back and coach individuals through each of them. Oh, why was it hard? You know, what are you thinking about doing this time? Let's actually role play this out you know, just like we did at our workshop, but we're going to continue to do this because like dealing with a toxic person that takes years. I was at one organization yeah. where it took three to four years before finally they were able to address this person's behavior, right? Where this person was finally willing to go to therapy, you know, personal therapy, not on the company's dime so that they could, he could work better with everyone else. So like, you know, you, you have to be willing to put in that work. And I think we are constantly looking for the silver bullet, right? That Dang magic right. pill. And then be like, can we get back to work now? And it's like, this is not, that's not the reality, man. Like we got to practice. We got to have, we got to, leaders have to give staff opportunities to practice, opportunities to fail and opportunities to try new things, to take risks, and that is when they start to build a psychologically safe work environment. That's right. Okay. So uh, Jeff, I have a lot of middle manager type folks that, that listen to this podcast. And, and so some of these things, I, I know what they're probably thinking right now, a lot of this sounds great, but I can't do that because I'm not the president of the company. Yep. What do you, what would you say to those groups on things that little things that maybe they could implement right now to introduce some of these concepts? Yeah, that's great. So even before I answer that, like I love, I just saw this video from Simon Sinek. It was a really short video about middle management. And he, he talked about how middle managers, it's one of the most difficult jobs, right? Because you have to take right. the culture and, and all of the pressure, right? And all of the numbers you have to hit. And then you have to communicate it to your staff without stressing them out. Right. So, and right. he says with many companies that he's consulted for, you know, he'll talk to the, the leaders and they're like, oh, the culture is so strong. You know, people are committed. You know, the retention is amazing. And then he gets down to the frontline workers, right. Or like in the construction sites, like, you know, people that are actually doing the welding in the building and they're like, it, it's horrible here. This is the worst, <laughs> it's the worst company ever. Right. And you're just like, and where does, where, what happens? Where, where did the disconnect from? It comes because that the, the middle is where it breaks. 
That's usually where it always right. breaks, right? So that's the middle manager. So the middle manager, as much as they don't feel they have the power, they have some of the most power, you know, to, to actually sustain the organization. So um, the challenge I would put for a lot of middle managers is, first off, identifying what is the work that you love to do most and make sure you're doing a little bit more of that because you need that energy from that to deal with all of the other work that's going to burn you out, right? Because when you don't have time for that and you're constantly just getting all of the pressure that, you know, because all the shooting that's happening on you, then you get really stressed out and then you can't, you can't do your best work. You can't be there and be present for your staff. So that would be the first suggestion that I would give them. You know, the second suggestion I would give is to is focus on your circle of influence. Don't stress yourself out with the stuff that you don't have any control over. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't control whether, you know, uh, we're going to be doing furloughs or not for our company right now. But I can be transparent with my staff and be like, hey, man, we're in some real uncertain times. We might be furloughing. I'm giving you as much information as I can, but I'm being transparent with you. And by doing that, you're building trust with your staff. Right. I think right now I'm seeing a lot of organizations, ones that I've worked with, where they're scared. And they're acting very scared and they're sharing less information. They're not talking, you know, they're having less meetings. They're not connecting with people and people are just kind of like tiptoeing on eggshells and they don't know what's next. And, and being in that, that's that, you know, world of uncertainty is really stressful and actually reduces the productivity of your staff. But if you can be transparent with your staff and be upfront with them, and tell them whatever is going on right now and be like, hey, man, I have your back. I'm doing the best I can, you know, and I get it. If you need to leave because, like, you can't deal with this uncertainty, I got your back. You know, I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll be a reference for you. You know, I'll help you out and looking for the next job. Even if you're doing stuff like that, I remember doing that for an employee once. And simply because I did so much to help them find the next job. When they got offered that next job, they didn't take that job as much as it was a dream job. They stayed with us and they were more committed to us because of what I did for them. So we have to have our staffs back. And then finally, it ties back to what I said earlier, as a middle manager, your circle of influence, figure out the motivations of your staff and figure out the appreciation language of your staff. Because you do that and you start to create a really awesome team all of a sudden, that toxic work environment that everyone else is, that, you know, that really horrible narcissistic colleague of yours that's doing his thing with his team and destroying his team, all of a sudden, your boss is going to be like, what are you doing with your team? Because they are really productive. <laughs> they are crushing it. You know, they, they, they built like five houses in the last like X amount of time. I don't know how you're pulling this off. What's your magic? And, he, and you can be like, oh, I actually just I'm trying to understand my team. I'm trying to understand their appreciation. I'm trying to understand their, their motivations. That's what I'm doing. You know, then they're like, hey, Chad, you know, the narcissistic guy. Hey, do do what do what Philip is doing, right? We need to do more of what Philip's doing. Because you know why? Because Chad, you're affecting our bottom line. You're losing us money. So we're doing what Philip's doing from now on. So you don't know the ripple effect you might have in the organization by just focusing on your circle of influence. All right. Well, so, you know, I was going to ask you how they could get better at communicating these things to upper management, but I think you already answered that question too. So 
they need to start with themselves, right? Yeah. Find their own area of play and give themselves a little bit more time for that. And then introduce those concepts to others, get to know other people, right? Yeah. And then instead of trying to explain these concepts to upper management, show them how it works. Yeah. And then also you could approach upper management and be like, hey, I'm thinking about experimenting in this way. I'm thinking about approaching this issue, you know, in the construction in industry in a different way, you know, or how we get business or how, you know, we get to the next client or whatever it is. You know, are, are you are you open? Are you open to me trying this? Can I try this? You know, and and maybe they will be open to it. And if maybe they're not open to it, then do it without asking them. Try it out and then be like, <laughs> yo, I did this little small experiment. You don't do a big experiment, but a small experiment that doesn't cost you that much money and be like, yo, I just tried this and look at look at the results. Like, let's That's can right. I experiment more? Like, prove to them right. that at the end of the day. You know, we don't have to get to the solution your way, leader, boss. Just allow us to get it to get there our way, and we'll, you know, and we'll we'll be more successful. And you'll look That's good right. for doing that. You'll look. You'll, I'm going to make you <laughs> say this. I'm going to make you look good, right? And then That's your right. boss will be like, "All right." <laughs> That's right. Wow, that, that is all great stuff, Jeff. You know, Ed, I, I think there are some great tips, and and uh, you know, definitely a different way of looking at things, especially in such a serious time we have today. Yeah. Um, do you have any final any final thoughts you'd like to share with everybody? Yeah, I'm trying to think of what makes the most sense. No, yeah, I think I think this, and this is interesting because I don't know how your staff or you know how your listeners sorry will resonate with this but i think a lot of people forgot how to play they don't know how to play anymore they're like well i watch football on the weekends you know like maybe you know i go play <laughs> basketball or, or or i play with my kids i hear that all the time oh i play right. with my kids you know but they're not really playing right and so i'm challenging your staff or your 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 listeners to play uh and Here's one way to do this, which I know is going to be really challenging for some people to do this, right? Well, here's two. One is I challenge you to calm yourself down because you can't play if you're in an anxiety-ridden state. Allow yourself then to get bored, meaning like shut off Netflix, shut off social media, um, because we're getting inundated by so much information. We get more information in a day than people got in a year in 1950. So get really bored because think about when you were a kid, your best ideas came when you were bored, right? And, and then start to listen to that crazy whisper, that inner curiosity. And you know it's going to whisper something to you that, that, that feels because it's going to be both exciting and scary, right? It's going to be something like, hey, Create a video. Hey, start a podcast. Hey, create that side business. Hey, take take that risk. Have that conversation with that boss you've been itching to have a conversation with. You know, like let's follow that curiosity, that thing that both excites and scares you, and see where that takes you. And then the second suggestion on top of this, this is the double downing on play, is reach out to three to five of your closest friends and ask them these two questions. Hey. What do I do for you? Like, what value do I bring to your life? Like, what do I do for you? And you can even say this in the workplace. You know, what do I do at this job that you appreciate most? Because a lot of times we don't even know what we do at our jobs that 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 we do well, that we're that we're appreciated right. for. So, what value do I bring to your life? What value do I bring to this job? And then the second is when when have you seen me most alive? 
And what I mean by that is like, when have you seen me most present, most engaged at work, most excited at work? You know, so ask those questions. What value do I bring to your life? And when have you seen me most alive? Get the answers for that. Write those all down and you'll start to see all these patterns of ways in which you can play at work more. Try those out. Let us know how those go. I guarantee you'll have a better job or a better time enjoying your work. I love that. I, I'm going to start using that. I'm going to steal that from you, Jeff. That, take that, it. Uh, I'm, I'm I giving totally it out. Ask- take it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm always asking people about identifying their strengths, but I love the the terminology there. Where, where do you see me most alive? And, and, and that's that's a great one. Yeah, I'm going to start using that. Well, that's awesome. So, okay. So, um, what's Jeff's play? What, what does Jeff do for play so, outside so of all this work world? So, okay. this is funny. so I like, you know, BS, right. You know, <clears throat> calling myself in my own BS. It's now making yeah. videos. I make like a video a day before I couldn't make any of them. So I make these stupid TikTok videos that have no ROI, no productive value, but they're just they're just fun for me. It's just really creative. But then it also has a positive psychology um, bonus to it. It positively primes my day to see the rest of my day as play. So if you think for leaders, if you do something that's playful to start your day, you're priming your day in that way. So think about when you have a bad day. I challenge people whenever they say they have a bad day because you know, based off positive psychology, you know, thoughts last between nine seconds and 90 seconds. So what you had was you had a bad moment and then you ruminated about that bad moment constantly. And then you looked for the next bad moment and the next bad moment. And then guess what? Then you had your bad day. But by simply shifting your perspective and then asking this really interesting question, my friend Desiree taught me is like when I, when something good happens, right? Or I do play to start my day. I ask the question, how can it get any better than this? And I ask this with curiosity. And when that happens, then my brain starts to look for other patterns of, Ooh, how can it get any better than this? Like, what is something that's awesome? And I'll give you an example. I made like just today. Oh, I made a TikTok. How can it get any better than this? Oh, then I talked to this guy from Fast Leaders on a podcast. How can it get any better than this? Now I'm talking to Philip and we're breaking right. down leadership. How can it get any better than this? Later on, I'm connecting with my friend, Wendy, and we're going to brainstorm all these crazy ideas to create some new videos that challenge the status quo. How can it get any better than this? Then I'm going to get some Jets pizza, some barbecue pizza. I've been itching for this all day. you know. And then you start <laughs> stacking all of the positive priming moments, and you can actually change your entire day. And then potentially, by doing this, change your entire life. That is so awesome. The, the, the relevancy. So this, I was just reading this morning on um, uh, Jay Shetty's Think Like a Monk, and, and he was talking about getting up 15 minutes earlier every day mm-hmm. because your morning sets the whole stage for the rest of the day. But I, okay. I love how you compounded all that, right? It's, right. it's okay, well, you're going to start the day. To, well, let's just, let's, let's up level that idea throughout the entire day. So awesome stuff, Jeff. And, and, and I'll say this last piece, because this might help the next meeting you have, you can actually positively prime a meeting because the first words uttered at a meeting change how the meeting is going to go. And I'm not talking about when you start the meeting. I'm talking about the first person people on your virtual Zoom call or in a meeting, if they're talking about their baby or they're talking about how they had like a good weekend, 
when it's positive, the meeting is more productive. But when you start a meeting and people are complaining, you've already destroyed the energy of the meeting. So anyone wow. can lead in that approach, even if you're not a leader, by simply positively priming the meeting. That's great. That's great advice there. Awesome, Jeff. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, uh, it was a very enlightening conversation, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. Um, so I wish you the best of luck in all you do. And uh, thanks for being you. Hey, thanks so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. If you learned something valuable today, please share it with others. For more information, head over to leaderthink.com.